Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode of Believe in South Carolina is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Now, time for Believe in South Carolina. Michigan at the 41. What a hit! Ball's free! On the ground! South Carolina deserves to have it, and they do! Welcome in. We are back on the Believe in South Carolina podcast, South Carolina, doing a couple things since the last time we had one of these shows. Well, let's see what they've done. They've beat Tennessee and they've beat Clemson. I'm Mike Cuban. Alongside me is Nick Clausen. Nick, what do you want to talk about today? Because I, I feel like what has transpired over the last two weeks, not only have we not seen this since 2003, that an unranked team beats two top 10 teams in back-to-back weeks to go back to 2003 with Auburn. But South Carolina now, after getting, for lack of a better phrase, getting their teeth kicked in against Florida, number 19 in the college football playoff ranking. Mm -hmm. What a difference two weeks makes. Oh, my gosh. It's it's insane. As far as, like, what what – what should we talk about? What do we want? I mean, so much has happened. And obviously, we apologize for not getting an episode out. I mean, holidays, you know, crazy times, especially because sports don't stop during the holidays. Um, but, I mean, after Florida, who would have seen this coming? We're, not, mm. we're 19th in the country, the highest college football playoff ranking in South Carolina history, obviously, because I don't think they've been in it or, other than that. Um, you beat Tennessee and handedly, and then you, you know, we talked all about, I've said it so many times, can this team do it two weeks in a row? Mm -hmm. And then what do they do? They beat Clemson. They snap a 40 game win streak at home against your biggest rival. Um, The season could not have ended any better. I mean, it just, and it's crazy and it shows you how, crazy college football is and how everything can change in just a second. And also, you know, how you're feeling at the beginning of the season is not how you're going to be feeling at the end. Most likely. I mean, look at Tennessee, they were the highest in the room all year and yeah, they finished 10 and two got their first 10 win season in a long time. But I know those fans are probably a little disappointed because of what they know they could have done. And South Carolina fans, two weeks ago, you're feeling really down thinking we might go six and six, have the same record as as last year. No improvement. You know, what's that going to do to recruiting? Well, it's eight and four. (laughs) You're going to a pretty good bowl game and uh, you're 19th in the country. So this has been insane. Mike, this is crazy that it ended the way it did. But they they put two great games together. And we'll talk more about this Clemson game, but I mean, the resiliency of that team 
is something I haven't seen in a long time for South Carolina. So I bring up there's a couple things to talk about because obviously we want to look back and talk about what took place this past weekend. It's massive. But at the same time, too, we're what? We're taping this on a Wednesday. We're about four or five days removed since that game on Saturday. And there's already been a lot that has transpired, right? Changes that are going to be coming with offensive coordinator at that position with Marcus Satterfield accepting the position out in Nebraska. And I do want to get into that a little bit more um, in Marcus's value, especially over the last two weeks, and why and why Gamecock fans should be thanking him over these uh, because of what took place over these next uh, these last two weeks. Okay, so I'll get into that. The transfer portal that's going to be opening up on Monday. Mm-hmm. When I also hit on that and what that could look like. Who calls the plays on offense in the bowl game for South Carolina? What bowl game could it be? There's a lot to talk about over the next hour as we get into it here on Believe in South Carolina. So let's get back to that Clemson game. Okay. Being able to beat your rival, being able to do something that had not been done since 2013. It would have been great to have Marcus on here to be able to talk about what it meant to him to see that happen. Because we know that Marcus was there out in Tennessee for the Tennessee game, excuse me, at South Carolina when the Vols came to town in Columbia, excuse me. And we saw the excitement. There was a photo of him hugging one of the players. Um, So I bring all that up because that was huge within itself. Mm -hmm. I would argue that that was a bigger win than the win against Alabama. And here's why. And here's why. Alabama, number one team in the country. You had Marcus Lattimore. You had Alshon Jeffrey. You had Steven Garcia. Keep going down the, the list. Blah, 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 blah. You had talent on that team, okay? Maybe some people didn't expect you to beat Alabama, but you did. And I don't think you really shocked the world. I'm not trying to take anything away from that, but the point being is that game against Tennessee, you shocked the world. Mm-hmm. And not only did you shock the world, you beat the crap out of them. And because of that game, because of the way they performed, if they came out and they lost against Tennessee, I don't think I don't think they beat Clemson. I really don't. No. I don't. They're on a two-game losing streak at that point. You're not feeling good about yourself. You got to go to Death Valley. But even after that interception by Spencer Rattler against Clemson, it was kind of like, all right, hey, slow down. We're all right. We know what we're capable of doing. So. I would argue that Tennessee win is bigger than the Alabama win. Now, is the Clemson win bigger than the Tennessee game? That's that's the that's the argument now. I'm I I would say yes. Um, I, I definitely agree with you on the Alabama front, just especially because what that Tennessee win means for this program, like in Beamer's program. That it's insane. That's huge. the The recruiting value of that, with the transfer portal opening up, we'll get more into that. But the value of that Tennessee win is so much more. And like you said, with Alabama, we were a very good team. Alabama was the number one team in the country, so beating them was huge. It was like when Tennessee beat Bama earlier this year. It was huge, but we thought they could play with them. It was gonna be a top matchup of two ranked teams. 
Tennessee and South Carolina, people thought Tennessee, people thought South Carolina didn't even have a chance. Like that was a pure upset. That was a team that has had a, an amazing year for the first time in so long going against a team that had just gotten killed by a low level SEC team. No offense, Florida, not a great year, but it's the truth. And then you go and beat Tennessee and not just beat them. You beat the crap out of them. That win was, was huge for this program, for South Carolina, for the fans, for the students, for everyone involved with the program, just because it, it was like, it was almost doing the impossible. It was almost doing the impossible. Now I'd say the Clemson win is bigger because you snapped a 40 game home win streak for Clemson. First win in, you were on a six game losing streak. So first win since 2013, how much in the first win of Beamer's coaching tenure. So all those things I think make, and when it's just that game, what that game means to South Carolina fans means to alum, um, the students there, the players, the coaches, everyone, what that game means to win that, to win it in death Valley, to do all those things. I mean, that's just, it doesn't get any bigger at the university of South Carolina. So you're going Clemson. You're going Clemson as the top uh, biggest win in program history. Well, biggest win in program history. Then you go back to there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that in the past, probably it, since Bama. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going. I'm going be just based on the trajectory of this program. This win was it just meant so much. And also, like I said, when Rattler threw that pick. I'm sitting there like, oh boy, this is not good. That pick six, like it was just like, okay, Rattler, that this might have been Rattler had a out of body crazy game against Tennessee, and now Clemson is gonna be kind of back to normal. Well, it wasn't that. They got down, they fought back in it. Special teams balled out. They did everything they had to do to get a scrappy win in Death Valley, and that that's amazing that they were able to get it done and it means so much to this program and i think the if this program sees which we hope it does a lot of future success in the next couple of years we're going to look back at the the clemson game we're going to look back at the tennessee game but i just think when you look at beating clemson i mean it just means more with with clemson hmm. so being able to beat clemson you're able like as you as you alluded to you go up there you in the streak, multiple streaks at that. But obviously the big one is being able to just finally beat them. But you win their home winning streak. And on top of all that, you keep them out of the college football playoff. You keep them out of the college football playoff. And Nick, even though they're playing in the ACC championship, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to, to Clemson World over the last couple of days. I hop on a show each Tuesday. Tiger Net. Lot and Swan, shout out to Swan. He does a tremendous job covering Clemson. Um, I hop on that program every Tuesday. I've been doing that the last couple of years. And it seems like the focus right now by a lot of people in that fan base has not been their ACC championship game coming up against North Carolina. It's more like this, this uh, they're in wake 
right? It's it's kind of like it's kind of like someone died, and they're just like they can't they can't get over it. Um, they, don't, they don't know what to do. So <laughs> and look and look. Bottom line is, South Carolina still has a long ways to go oh, to yeah. be able to get back into a position where they are ahead of Clemson. Clemson has done a tremendous job for the last decade plus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. um, so I say that because, and we've talked about this before, Tennessee, Tennessee this season, um, especially with Kentucky, because Tennessee still had a very good season. So it's more so Kentucky. But some of these teams that you go up against, and not just go up against on the field, but you're going up against in the world of recruiting. Clemson has been able to recruit on a national level. Okay, mm-hmm. they've been able to recruit at a national level, but there's still some guys who Clemson has been going after the last couple of years, and we've we've even noticed it this year. We've even noticed it this year that USC is starting to do a better job of winning, of winning those in-state kids, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to in-state recruiting um, with your with your in-state rival. So I bring that up because it's funny when you see a kid choose South Carolina over Clemson. You'll see some Clemson fans. Oh, we really want them. Stop that. Stop that. Okay. There's some very talented players in South Carolina. And I've also said before though, that you're not going to be able to win with just South Carolina talent. There's Mm -hmm. this, there's this mindset by some South Carolina people that if it's not South Carolina made, then they don't want anything to do with it. Um, and I know that does not speak for everybody. Okay. So before you start, you know, raising your fist in the air, like grandpa Simpson yelling at a cloud, understand what I'm trying to get at that. There's this notion that everyone has to be, okay, why don't we get in this South Carolina kid? Why don't we get in that South Carolina kid? Okay. They're doing a good job of being able to keep in-state talent there, but they have to go out of state. They have to be able to, Get other pieces. If you just recruit South Carolina talent, you're not going to be able to, to field a team that's going to be able to compete at the level that you want it to be able to compete in that SEC. You're just you're just not going to be able to. That stuff happens at smaller schools. Okay, that happens at the Division II level. Even though they go out, you know, sometimes they'll still go out of state, but you'll see more in-state kids on those teams. Okay, UMass, for example, UMass for years. Uh, since moving up to FBS, that team is loaded with Massachusetts talent. Okay. I'm from Massachusetts. I can tell you right now, you're not going to be winning a lot of games if you just have just Massachusetts talent on it. Okay. So I bring that up because, yes, there are a lot of talented people in South Carolina. That is a very talented state. They produce a lot of talent, not just for football, but for other sports. But I bring that up because when you do have the high four stars, Potentially a five star that starts floating around the next couple of years. We'll have to wait and see because there hasn't been really the talent up there like we saw during that goodness, that span of 2010 to 2013. Mm-hmm. Okay. When Beamer was here or Beamer was here during that 2010 period. Um, you need to be able to win those recruiting battles in state against Clemson and being able to beat them. That is the building block, that is your stepping stone. Just like with Kentucky, you need to continue to build off of that. So being able to get that win, yes, it's massive because you're able to get your eighth win, 13th time in the 100-plus year history of South Carolina football that they finished the regular season with at least eight wins. That should not be overlooked. Okay, Number two, 
the streaks that we talked about. Clemson's 40-game home win streak, okay? You win that. You win the seven-game win streak that Clemson has had over you in this rivalry. You win that. But from a recruiting standpoint, Nick, from a recruiting standpoint, you need some type of starting point. And with Nick Harbor, right, Nicholas Harbor, still in the mix, you don't think he's paying attention to what the hell's going on in South Carolina these last two weeks? Because I can tell you this. I can tell you this. People up here in Boston, they don't care about South Carolina. The last two weeks, walking into Gillette Stadium in the media room, man, how about those Gamecocks? And then after this past weekend, people are paying attention. So I bring that up because people do not care about South Carolina football up here. They do not. They don't care, okay? They don't care about you. People are coming up to me saying, holy cow, this Gamecock team's a lot of fun to watch. If people are doing that, okay, that don't even care about South Carolina, can you imagine the people that have been paying attention to them, whether it be recruits over the last year or so, and they see what's going on? Can you only imagine what's going through their mind right now? I mean, that's that's the whole thing from Tennessee and Clemson. Tennessee put them on a national on you know a national national news. It was yep. wow. That was insane. South Carolina just shocked the world. That's national. So people are turning their heads. But it's a great upset. But still, recruits who are getting recruited to the University of South Carolina are starting to like raise and you know, starting to look over and be like, Beamer had told us his plan and look what's happening. Then you beat Clemson. <laughs> and that's even bigger news because of what you did against Tennessee. So stringing those two games together, you finish eight and four. Now college football playoff, 19th, eight people was 20. Then it's that's national. That's everyone. And that's a lot of recruits from all over are starting to look this way. We've talked about the transfer portal that a lot of transfers could be like, what's happened at South Carolina. Something's being built there. They want to come to South Carolina. So it was huge from the standpoint of recruiting what South Carolina was able to do in those last two games. It was, it was insane and crazy. And it got everyone to turn their head and be like, what are the Gamecocks doing? Who's that coach? Who's Shane Beamer? And Shane Beamer is already pretty known because of the fun stuff he does. Everyone likes him. He's very likable as a coach. South Carolina has a fan base is behind him. Um, and yeah, so it just turned a lot of national attention. And you talked about Clemson, they recruit on a national, they recruit nationwide. We really tried to go in state and, you know, we don't really compete at that level in recruiting, but this is a step in the right direction where they can do that. And Beamer already says he emphasizes recruiting in state. Me and Marcus talked about it previewing the Tennessee game. Jalen Hyatt didn't get an offer from Clemson or South Carolina. If Beamer was the coach and Jalen Hyatt was recruiting South Carolina, he would not have, he would not have been forgotten. He would not have, he would have had an offer. I believe that fully. Um, But that's just how Beamer wants it. He wants to get the best players in South Carolina, but also you see that we've talked about it before, Mike, they're going to Florida to get these linebackers. They're going all up and down the East coast and the amount of talent in Florida they're starting to build a pipeline from Florida, DMV, Harbors from DMV. Marshawn Lloyd was from uh, Delaware, uh, played at high school in Maryland at DeMatha. So we're definitely not just going for the South Carolina talent, but 
you know, it is a monumental, monumental how huge getting those two wins is and getting the recruits from all over. Even if it was a person who's like, I wasn't even looking at South Carolina or they were on my list. Mm-hmm. They offered me. I didn't just be like, Ooh, I might need to take a second look. I might need to go on a visit. I might need to see what's going on there. So it's just, it's, it's a step in the right direction um, to start competing at that level. And I will say Cle- Clemson, you know, we beat them, but we're not a better program yet. We aren't. We, we stole a game and it was awesome. And I'm so proud of South Carolina for doing that. But, you know, they're still ahead right now. They're finishing 10 and 2. They're about to play in a conference championship. We finished third in the SEC East and it's a great year, but we got more, to, more work to do. And they know that. So that's, that's that. Okay. That's that. There's multiple layers, though, still to get into. We mentioned the Clemson part of it all. Being able to get this win, being able to get this win changes the perception of this program, right? We, we can even go back to last week against Tennessee. It's, it's hand in hand with each other. Beat Tennessee, beat Clemson, okay? Because a couple weeks ago, you're six and four. You were six and three, but you were six and four after losing to Florida, after getting your freaking teeth kicked in with two games to go against two top 10 teams. Not scoring a touchdown. Yeah, not scoring a touchdown against Florida, and then you still got to play two top 10 teams. USC, I think for a lot of people at that point, outside of the building, a lot of people assume that they were going to finish the year six and six in the regular season. Okay. Now, to me, we've talked about this before. Records shouldn't always be a true indication of progress, especially when you're in your first, second, third year. But at the same time, when you do have, you know, seven, eight wins in the regular season, knowing that two years ago, this program only had two wins in the regular season, that's, you know, you can, it's all right at that point to talk out of both sides of your mouth because it's not the same. It's not apples to apples. All right. So I say all that because USC is able to beat Tennessee. They're able to beat Clemson. The perception now of this program is totally different in comparison to where we would be today, right? November 30th, if USC had finished the regular season at six and six. Marcus Satterfield goes to Nebraska. All right. And I've been using this. Analogy before, I will bring it up again. No one is asking you to invite Satterfield over for a glass of whiskey. No one is saying that you got to send him a Christmas card. But you should be thanking Marcus Satterfield. Even if you're one of those people out there that was on the fire sat train or whatever, okay? It does not take anything away from the things that took place this season, whether it be the Florida game, whether it be the Missouri game. I'm not overlooking that. I'm not taking that away. I'm not discrediting you from what you want to say back to it. Well, what about these? I'm not taking that away. All I am saying is, based on the circumstances of where South Carolina was after that Florida game, they were six and four. If they had moved on from Satterfield at that point, they do not win those two games. I'm sorry. They don't. They don't. Yeah. Um, they changed. They changed the mindset of how they called plays. They simplified things. But at the end of the day, Sat was still calling those plays. Okay? 
Now, there's going to be people out there that don't agree with me with that, that say, oh, you're going to tell me we could be. No. Who would have been calling the plays? You would have had someone that, you know, even if a guy like Freddie Kitchens is out there, you're going to have someone that hasn't called plays all season. And I don't know how many people on that staff, I'd have to really do a deep dive, how many people have actually called plays before at the college level. Okay? So I bring that up because that kind of you know goes back to this whole notion of Beamer doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, well, I think Beamer proved over the last two weeks he knew what he was doing by keeping him on staff. But the offense goes out there. They perform at a totally different level. And it's funny because I even saw some people yapping about the uh, Clemson game. Like, it wasn't Sat. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's Sat's fault that Rattler threw a pick six on an out route because he misread the coverage. The only thing that maybe we, that, that I agree with is I wouldn't have thrown the ball. I wouldn't have done a um, Russell Wilson on the one-yard line. I would have ran it in. But outside of that, I felt, I felt like what the offense did, I mean, even having the having the cojones to uh, go for it on fourth down, deep in their own territory. And I know that a lot of that has to do with Beamer because Beamer ultimately is the head coach. He makes that decision if they go for it or not. But I like the play call that Juju went down to the one. So I bring all that up because you should be thanking Satterfield for the last two weeks because – what took place over these last two weeks has changed the perception of Gamecock football. Mm -hmm. It helped him out, and now he goes to Nebraska. He's got a fresh start, right? He's feeling good about himself over the last two weeks. But now this job becomes a little bit more intriguing. It's certainly more intriguing than it was two years ago. There's no question about that, this offensive coordinator opening. But if South Carolina is sitting here today, like we said, at 6-6, six and six, it's six and six. And they're not getting the same national recognition, that same national buzz that we were just talking about. Is it the same feeling for people that are out there? Are they going to have that same feeling towards this opening? I don't think they would. No. And again, again, I know it's not just Satterfield. I know the defense did their part. I know special teams certainly did their part. But the offense did their job. Satterfield did his job very well these last two weeks. And because of that, South Carolina is sitting in a very pretty spot right now as they head into an opening. It's not often that you beat two top 10 teams to close out the year, Nick. Okay? And then and you're the offensive coordinator. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's a weird situation. But those wins, like I said, people turned their heads and said, what? is going on at the University of South Carolina. Not just players, but everyone. Fans and coaches and everyone. So that made that, hey, Satterfield left. There's an OC position open. More people are interested because they're like, hey, South Carolina has the potential to be something in the SEC East. Here's how I look at the Satterfield leaving thing. I was pretty certain after after this season, Satterfield would be gone, whether it was firing or whatever happened. I Based on how the season was gone, I thought it would be firing. But I 100% agree. You have to thank him for the last two weeks. And in my opinion, I don't think this situation could have ended any better. We beat Tennessee. We beat Clemson. And then Matt Rule, who's his buddy, they've coached together at Temple and Baylor, asks him to go to Nebraska. He is on a lot of momentum. He's doing great. He takes the job. Well, 
Now South Carolina doesn't have to do a debate of do we keep Satterfield? Do we do, do we fire him because everyone wanted him fired? Because I still I know a lot of people who even though we beat South Carolina and Clemson are thinking the exact thing that Mike just said. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> like they wanted him gone, so that's how they felt. But I I just think you know it's it, that situation ended well. He gets to go to Nebraska, fresh start. Um. And him and Rule have coached together for years, so that's great for them. Um, and, uh, you know, thank you for what you did because without you, wouldn't have happened. But – and now a new position is open and we'll get a new coach in. So it's – it's. I think it ended well because he's able to go and he can, you know, help Nebraska build back to – what they were if they can get to that point again. But um and he doesn't have to leave South Carolina as everyone chants fire sat or anything like that. So I think it ended well. <laughs> yep. And again, we're sitting here today saying you don't have to buy Sat a Christmas present. Okay. No one's asking you to 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 go lend a hand as they move on out. Um but I do think it's important to to recognize and give credit to you know when it's due. And certainly with what they did over the last two weeks, it put South Carolina in a better situation. So we talk about the offensive coordinator situation in terms of moving forward. We don't know how that's going to play out quite yet as far as who's going to be calling the plays in the bowl game based on when we're taping this on Wednesday. I say that you always have to mention that because you don't know when someone's listening to one of these podcasts and they're like, well, actually we do know. They just said that earlier today or last week. So what we do know is Beamer's scheduled to speak on Sunday. Um, I would expect it to be one of those things where Beamer already has an idea who's going to be calling the plays. I would not be shocked if he doesn't say who's calling the plays on Sunday, though. He could. But at the same time, too, what do you have to gain outside of not having to be asked the question over and over and over? Um, what do you really have to gain yeah, by putting it out there? Right. If they feel like it is one of those things they want to keep in house, they're going to keep in house. It could leak out, could leak out. Maybe Gamecock Central. Maybe we get the scoop. We're able to put it out there for you guys. But I say that because I would not be shocked if if it's already been determined, but it's just not going to be said publicly yet. It could. It could mm -hmm. be. Um, the beautiful thing about it, though, is I don't think you're going to see a situation like we did back in the 2017, 2018 season when USC was in the Outback Bowl, RIP, now Reliac West Bowl. And Bobby Bentley moved from running back coach to quarterback coach that week because Kirk Roper was fired, the offensive coordinator. I don't think we're going to see something like that. In this case, you have Zeb Nolan, who's been helping out with the quarterbacks in the offense this season. I don't think he, he will necessarily be calling the plays. Um, but I can see him working with the QBs. Coleman's another coach that I could see um, in the mix. Um, I think Lemba will get involved with the offense a little bit more. You know, that doesn't mean he'll necessarily be putting his fingerprints on, on everything, calling the plays, but he knows those guys. He knows those guys. Um, in comparison to a guy like Freddie Kitchen, who's only been here for a year. Does Freddie Kitchen even want to call those plays? So that's what I would say as far as that goes. But um, – I think the beautiful thing about it is you're not going to have to see this musical chairs situation like we saw a couple of years ago. Does Justin Stepp have some more input? I'm sure he does. I'm sure. 
But again, they're not going to have to be moving things around to make this work. And I'm sure Beamer has had a plan in place like they do when you get ready to hire a coaching staff, tier A, tier B, tier C. You have backup plans. Lembo mentioned it earlier in the year. Even because of COVID, if God forbid there was an emergency and he wasn't able to be at a game, they have backup plans in place in terms of, okay, which who's going to be calling the special teams plays? Who's going to be getting the special teams unit ready? I'm sure they have, they've had tentative plans in place already as to, okay, who's going to be doing this if Satterfield at the last minute is not going to be able to be part of this game? They're going to have more time to figure that out to make sure everyone's comfortable with it, but I'm sure this is something that they already have a strong idea as to who's going to be calling those plays come bowl time. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have too much. I know as far as the opening for offensive coordinator, I know Beamer was saying he said obviously the person they'd want for the position is someone who's been an OC before, but also he mentioned how everyone's got to get their start somewhere, so there's a lot of great minds, and he's mentioned that there's a lot of great minds in the coaching room right now. So they're – you know, they could go from go from the inside. I don't think Freddie Kitchens – I think that's the one everyone goes to right away. I don't think he's going to call plays. I think the reason he took a role here is to have a lesser role and still help out and be a part of it. Um, so I don't think he'll want to jump up that high. I could be wrong. Maybe he does it. But um, I definitely think, uh, as Mike educated me before, of Lembo's uh, extensive head coaching um, resume. So, I mean, obviously he'll have more – input on the offense, like you said, step all of them. So I think it might honestly be one of them's going to have to call it, but it's going to be a team effort. And that's the way Beamer is. I mean, everyone's going to uh, carry their weight and uh, put in on what the offense is going to look like in that bowl game. And obviously these, these players have learned the playbook, the same playbook all year. They've added different things in throughout, but um it's not going to change too much. And uh, they just got a guy who's going to call it. I agree with you that, you know, everyone has a contingency plan. Everyone has backup plans. They need to have backup plans. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Beamer just announces it on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And again, he might just decide to kind of play some games. Coaches. And like yeah, doing that sometimes, right? So knows, maybe they hide it for a little mm-hmm. bit. And then, so, so the other team doesn't know who's calling plays at the bowl mm-hmm. game, you know? Um, that that help, helping out last year during the bowl game was the fact that the UNC had no idea to carry on Joiner would be playing quarterback. <laughs> they like that wasn't one of our QBs. We used four and he wasn't one of them. Um, so yeah, they might just try and hide it just to create some confusion. So we've hit a lot already. We've hit upon a lot already. Okay. A couple things I want to throw out there that we won't really need to get into too much. Um, we'll keep things moving. The reason why you're not seeing Shane Beamer and some of these other coaches out at schools like you have in the past, right after the Clemson game, the NCAA has a new rule this year where it is a dead period from Sunday to Friday. Friday, you will see people go out, start hitting the road hard from a recruiting standpoint. So you will start seeing it then. But that is why there's a dead period. Players can come to them. They can't go to them. though. That makes sense. So that's why you're not seeing that. Transfer portal. You'll start to see guys go on social media, and I'm not saying specifically just South Carolina, but just in general. We're starting to see this already 
you can head on over to on three. If you're a member or not a member, you have access to that database. The guys that have entered the portal, you're seeing guys enter the portal, but they will not show up in the actual portal, the portal the coaches see. They won't show up in the actual portal until Monday, December 5th. Mm-hmm. That is the first day. That is kind of like Black Friday or Cyber Monday, whatever you want. That's the official date. Okay. That is the date, December 5th. So what transpires over the next couple days and weeks for coaches? They're having an end of the year conversations with their players and coaching staff. Okay. Um, a guy like Spencer Rattler, he's going to have a tough decision to make. From what I've been told, Transferring is not an option that he's looking at. It will come down to coming back next season or trying to test the waters of the NFL. It will come down to those two things. Uh, Does he play in the bowl game? That's still to be seen. I would be a little surprised if he doesn't because if he has aspirations of going to play in the NFL – I feel like being able to have one more solid game um, could really help him out. And if he did that, then I think it's a foregone conclusion that he's not coming back. Because while we sit here today and we talk about South Carolina going to have to hire a new offensive coordinator, right? That's also going to create a new playbook that he's going to have to learn if he comes back to South Carolina. Does he want to do that? I know there's going to be some people that say, well, you know, his draft stock's not going to be that high. I thought, I think it was funny. There was one guy in our, uh, our GC live show in the message section saying that he was a former agent saying that, you know, Oh, you know, I, I know how these things good for you, buddy. I don't believe you that you're in your former agent, but even if you are, even if you are, I think what Rattler's done over the last two weeks, it's that it, it's hard to ignore it's hard. It's hard to ignore. Ignore. I was talking to a, uh, an NFL scout actually yesterday, and they said that his draft stock has just skyrocketed. And what it'll come down to more than anything is when different teams have their meetings with him, and they put him up on the whiteboard, um, how he performs. So I would not be shocked if he's not back next season, uh, especially if he plays in the bowl game and has a has a good bowl performance. Um, but those are just some things to, to, to just keep in the back pocket as far as what's going on in the world of college football. Again, dead period right now until Friday transfer portal opens up on Monday and guys like Rattler or whoever, if they do want to test the waters of the NFL, they don't have to make that announcement anytime soon. Okay. So while there will be some players on some teams across the country, Nick, that will come out and say, "Hey, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. You know, I'm gonna do, declare for the NFL. I'm gonna start preparing for this. That will happen. Um, but no one, you know, you don't. There's no. You don't have to do anything anytime soon. So that's why I would not be shocked if uh, we don't hear anything as far as what Rattler is trying to do, moving forward, at least right now, over the next couple of weeks." Yeah, and I'd be shocked if he could. I mean, I think he should play in the bowl game. I mean, we saw Kevin Harris last year after he had a thousand yard rushing two years ago. He played in that bowl game, and that was probably his bet. That was his best game. Um, so that's kind of a a last last attempt to you know up his draft stock. I think Rattler has to do that because he really hasn't had a complete season. 
Um, he had those two great last games and really pro he proved he's a winner. I mean, the dude ended his call. If he goes to the draft, he will have ended his college career, I think, with just four losses. And all of them were with South Carolina um, as a starter. Mm -hmm. And so he's a winner. And he's proven that. So, I mean, I think it would be smart for him to play in the bowl game. I don't know if I'm really expecting him to return. I hope he does. That would be awesome. Um, and then, honestly, with the transfer portal, Mike, I actually have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Who Are there any positions that you see South Carolina specifically going after in the transfer portal? Well, I can tell you one from conversations with the people close to the program – Quarterback's not one of them. Now, if Rattler decides That's to leave, good. if Rattler decides to leave, um, that could certainly play a role with it. Um, or if there's just someone in the portal that just like is a is a can't miss kid. That is kind of what I was kind of told that they anticipate giving Doty his opportunity, assuming that Rattler's not going to be back next season, um, and they would give him that shot. Now, what does that do now from a recruiting standpoint? Could a guy like Dante Reno reclassify? I think that's in play. If Reno decides to um, – excuse me, if Rattler decides to leave, I would not be shocked to see Reno reclassify to, the 20, to 2023. Now, if Rattler's back, I would assume that Reno's going to stay in the class of 2024. Um, so that's a couple of things. Now, that's the position that I don't think – we're going to see from a transfer portal standpoint, unless unless South Carolina feels like there's a can't miss kid. Um, as far as what positions, well, look, you're going to be losing some some talented tight ends, some really talented tight ends, uh, most likely, right? You know, uh, Austin Stogner, uh, Jaheim Bell. You would assume that he'd also be leaving, and then what a job by Nate Atkins over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I would assume that's a position. I mean, I think I think the thing about it is it's not like it's not like NFL free agency where you have kind of like a shopping list and you're looking like, okay, this is the position that we're looking at. I mean, I'm sure there's some, there's some, but I think more than anything, it's kind of like, all right, who's out there and who would yeah. be a good fit for our program, as cliche as that sounds. So, you know, you could see a situation, I'm making this up, you could see a situation where you know, you feel like at the safety position, all right, South Carolina has some pretty good young talent, you know, Williams and uh, Eamon Worry at safety. Maybe they bring a safety in. I know that sounds crazy, but if they feel like there's a guy that they just, they feel like would be a good fit for the program, they're going to bring them in. Um, defensive back, they've been able to groom some guys, but I feel like defensive back is one of those positions. Um, it doesn't have to just be corner. It could be nickel. It could be, you know, obviously safety as well. Defensive back is a position from a growth standpoint, um, not just physically, but I just think mentally too, maturity. I feel like that's a position that you will continue to see players um, jump the most maybe from the transfer portal. And the reason why I say that is there's multiple reasons why a guy gets overlooked coming out of high school. I mean, grades play a part of it too. Maybe they need to get their grades situated. Maybe they just, you know, they didn't fill out the right way when they were coming out of high school. Um, but we've seen guys excel making the jump. And I know this is the one that I always bring, and I'm wearing the, the hound shirt today, but I can't help but think of a guy like Carlin Patel. You know, guy comes out of, of a Division two school, he comes in, and then he starts the final six, seven games at nickel. So I bring that up because I think that is a prime example as to 
what can can transpire, obviously in the transfer portal in general, but especially at that position. Wide receiver is another interesting position. And, you know, we can sit here offensive line. We can go down the list. I mean, there's certain positions. Certainly the offensive line is the, – the offense in whole, Nick, not to keep going on and rambling, but the offense as a whole, there could be a lot of openings from a talent standpoint. There could be a lot of opportunities for the guys that are on that that roster currently to have opportunities to, to be starters next year or at least see more playing time. Um, if I had to break it down and just looking at offense, defense, I feel like offense will be the position that you will see more, more players signed mm-hmm. from a transfer portal standpoint. Again, that's at least what I'm looking at based on the numbers game. If they feel like it's not the best fit or they feel like they need to bring someone in who could do a good job defensively, they'll do that. But I think the offense could be, could need some help next season. No, and I, I agree. And I was just, I was just curious of, um, because you look at it and like you see the effect that Antoine Wells Jr. had this season and coming up from the FCS. And um, they still got Rucker, who didn't really play much this season, had a touchdown, played well when he did. Um, I agree. It's probably the offensive more, the offense more than the defense. And like you said, it's going to be who's out there. But my thought is there's going to be a lot out there. Like from what I've heard, the portal's going to be crazy. Because of how, because of the way it is now with NIL, and also just you don't have to wait a year to play, so it's going to be interesting to see um, how many players go out, um, and who, how many players are out there, and how many players South Carolina actually go after. So it should be interesting. Mm. All right, so that is the portal. That is the portal talk. Let's get to the bowl talk, Nick. Again, we are trying to hit on every freaking facet here. There's a lot to unfold. Um, as to what has took place over the last couple of days at Gamecock World. Bowl situation. Here's where the Gamecocks stand. Or let's actually rewind it a little bit. After South Carolina beat Clemson on Saturday, the Citrus Bowl committee, they were in Clemson. And it looked very, very strong. There's a strong possibility at that time that the Gamecocks were going to play in the Citrus Bowl. Okay? Citrus Bowl pays more. I believe they pay $3 million more than um, the... RIP Outback Bowl, Relia Quest Bowl. Relia, and the, I was going to say Relia Quest is the one I've been seeing. I think it's, and I could be off a couple. It, it's it's based on the bowl games at South Carolina and their names getting thrown in the mix. You hear Relia Quest, which is the, you know, formerly known as the Outback Bowl, the Gator Bowl, and of course the Citrus Bowl. Citrus Bowl pays the most money. Okay. So that's why it would be a nice little caveat for the Gamecocks to play in that bowl game. Plus, I know, you know, People are probably sick and tired of playing down in Tampa, playing in the Outback Bowl so many years that Relia Quest is it the same to them. They probably don't want to play there. I get that from a fan standpoint. Maybe some fans disagree. I know Steven Garcia probably does because, I mean, that's his freaking backyard. That would be an easy trip for him right down the street. <laughs> um, <laughs> that'd be an easy trip for him. So I say that, though, because it looked like it was going to be the Citrus Bowl. And then what happens? LSU decides just to freaking puke all over their freaking oh. feet. Against AM. Unless LSU beats, unless LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship, I think the Citrus Bowl is going to be out of the mix. That's not to say that there is not a possibility still, but I just feel like a nine win 
a nine-win team, it's going to be hard to take them over the Gamecocks. I know the momentum's there. You know, I, I just did another podcast, um, and the host was saying, you know, oh, you know, they have momentum. and they, I get that. But it's going to be hard to say, okay, you know, I, I still think LSU would get the nod to go to the Citrus Bowl there, okay? So I say that. Where does that put now South Carolina? The ReliaQuest Bowl or the Gator Bowl? I think right now, as of right now, as of November 30th, I think right now it is leaning. It is leaning more towards the Gator Bowl based on what I've been told. That's not to say things can't change. Uh, but the other thing, too, is if South Carolina plays in that Gator Bowl, there's a strong possibility that Notre Dame is the team they're going up against. And I think that bowl game, because Notre Dame's fan base, and we know Notre Dame is a – it's kind of like the Yankees and Red Sox in a sense. I know there's going to be some people that get upset when I say that because they're sick and tired of hearing about Notre Dame. They're a national brand. They're yeah. a national brand. They play on NBC. They're a national freaking brand, whether you like it or not. Because of that, there would be a lot of eyeballs on that game, a lot of eyeballs. So um, I think it would be a tremendous opportunity. Plus, from a driving standpoint, if you're up in Columbia, I know no one probably really says, hey, let's go to Jacksonville, honey, for, for, for a vacation. But – it's a quick little trip. It's not as bad as having to go all the way down to freaking Orlando, deal with warmer. the Disney traffic. Yeah. It's a warmer. little bit warmer. Yep. So that's just my take. Nick, I don't know if you have a preference as to what bowl game you'd like to see South Carolina play in. I don't really have a preference. Um, what I've seen pretty much consistently was ReliaQuest um, and the na- the team – uh, you mentioned Gator Bowl, and that's one the one that seems more likely. But what I've seen um, is Notre Dame. And – for me, it's just a, to get to play a national national brand like that is is a great opportunity for this program. I mean, it's just like when you go back to those outback years where we play we're playing Michigan. Um, it's getting back to those um, where it feels like the bowl game really matters, and it does because you're you got a chance to play Notre Dame. Um, and like you said with the Citrus Bowl, I don't think I don't think you you turn away the 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 SEC West. Um, champions who beat Bama and are now playing in the SEC. Yeah, like I get the momentum part of it. I I don't turn them away. I get it. I get the argument about the momentum side of it. I understand. And I'm sure South Carolina would travel very well to that game. But I just – I find it hard to believe that they would, like you said, that they wouldn't take the SEC West champs. And even though, you know, they threw up on themselves against – a and M, they throw basically to the finish line to get to the bowl game because they would lose back-to-back games, assuming that they lose to Georgia in the SEC championship. I still find it hard to believe that you wouldn't take them. Um, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe, maybe LSU gets their teeth kicked in against Georgia, and they're yeah. just like, you know, uh, uh, or maybe because they lost, maybe they'll they'll come out and show a little fight. But again, if you had to ask me today, plus selfishly, I want them to play in the Gator Bowl so that I have an opportunity to head on down there. That'd be great. Because um, that'd be a Friday game, the Winter Classic, for, for all you hockey fans out there. That is at Fenway Park this year. The Bruins are playing the Penguins oh, yeah. on January 2nd. So um, hoping to be there to cover that. So hoping to be down there uh, for the Gator Bowl, if that's the case. Um, so that's all that, Nick. That's all that. I'm trying to think what else we haven't hit on. I feel like we've hit on pretty much everything. I think we got it. We got through a lot. But I think that I think that's everything. We did transfer portal, Clemson, Tennessee, bowl game, and that's what we're waiting for now. And the OC position. So yeah, they're just waiting on the bowl game now. 
And again, with some of this stuff, oh, another thing I want to throw out there, another, another, another important date to write down. So if you have your calendars out here, you can mark this one down. I'll give you a minute. Take your calendars out. Ready? All right, here we go. December 21st. That is a Wednesday. It's a little different this year. Early signing day period has been pushed back. Uh, and I say pushed back. They had this planned, obviously, months ahead. But it's pushed back further in comparison to where it was a year ago. It's on Wednesday, December 21st. I say all that because when you think about the changes going on right now from a coaching staff standpoint, and bowl season is going to be starting up, I believe it's the 17th. I'll have to double check that. I believe it's the 17th. I bring that up because from that 17th to the 21st, there's going to be coaches hopping around. There's going to be some coaches that get fired that have not been fired yet. How does that impact South Carolina's coaching staff? You know, as I reported the other day, there's a rumor floating around about Pete Lumbo having conversations with Townsend. Um, I reached out to my sources, and they told me that Lembo was not pursuing the Townsend job. So I bring that up because you're going to continue to hear. This is what happens, okay? And the Gamecock fans that have been following this program for a long time, you remember what this was probably like during that 2010-2013 period, right? That period between those, those four years, probably the four best years of Gamecock football in terms of a span. This is what happens when you have success. People look at your coaching staff, and they're going to want to hire your guys. And obviously, there's going to be opportunities down the road, I'm sure, for some of these guys to be head coaches. And that's not that's not a bad thing. I know you want to be able to keep your coaching staff intact. You want to be able to keep the core of it, and that's important. And you want to be able to pay these guys. But that's what's, that's part of it. That's part of not just college football, but just coaching in general on any level. Happens down all the way down to high school. Happens on the smaller levels. FCS, Division II, Division Three. Obviously, it happens in the NFL. That's something that for the last couple of years, you really haven't had to deal with as much. It happens. You have good position coaches, but it happens. So I bring that up because signing day is the 21st. I think the OC hire for South Carolina is going to happen within the next week or so. Um, I don't think it's going to be dragged out. I think they want to get it done as quickly as possible. And the reason being is they want to they want to be able to have their guys in place to be able to show the prospects that are going to be signing on the 21st or deciding if they're going to sign with the Gamecocks for that early signing day period. They want to be able to say, hey, this is this is who's going to be coaching you. Okay. We want to be up front with you. We don't want to say, okay, go buy the cow, and then you bring the cow home, and the cow doesn't even have, you know, what is it, udders, whatever the hell the freaking things are called. Um, there's someone that works on a farm that are always like, really, Mike? Um, you don't know what the heck they're called? Yeah. Um, milking a cow. Um, so I bring all that up. I bring all that up because – they're going to do everything they can to get everything done. They're going to do everything they can to get everything done as quickly as possible because they want to be as upfront. And also from a reputation standpoint, Nick, you don't want to be the coach that feeds a bunch of BS or misleads recruits, uh, especially in the world of the transfer portal, right? Someone's pissed off. They can just leave. 
right? It's not just about being able, and it's that's the other thing too. We talk so much about the players that are going to be signing on the 21st. You also want to be able to give your guys an indication as to who's going to be your coach on offense. And as we sit here today, and even though, you know, maybe it doesn't factor in a lot, it certainly factors in a little bit at least for Spencer Rattler and maybe some of these offensive players who are deciding, is it worth coming back? Is it not? I know there's going to be people out there that are going to say, well, you know, if he comes back, he has better opportunities to earn more money from an NIL standpoint. Yes, I'm not disagreeing with you, but at the same time, too, there's a risk. There's a risk. Obviously, the injury factor, which every player going back to the beginning of time of football, you've always had a face. That's on the table. But on top of that, you have to learn a new playbook. You don't know who's going to be coming back from a weapon standpoint next season. You don't know what your offensive line is going to look like next year as well. There's a lot at stake for Spencer Rattler. There's a lot at stake for a lot of these offensive players. So if you want to keep them happy, you need to. You need to be able to bring a guy in there so that these players can get acclimated as quickly as possible. Again, signing day is on the 21st. The portal opens up on Monday the 5th. Monday the 5th. You need to do everything you can to get this hire done as quickly as possible. And I'm sure Beamer, already in the back of his mind, has had guys that he's thought about um, offering the position to. So I would not be shocked if this position gets filled fairly quickly. Yeah, I'd agree. And that, and that's, that's how hopefully it should go. Um, and like, like we talked about earlier with the national notoriety they've gained over the past couple of years, there's a lot of coaches that probably want to come and coach at South Carolina. So it's going to make that position much more desirable, which should make the overall search process a little bit easier. So, uh, I think they'll get it done faster than you know in past and uh they have to to you know solidify the recruiting classes and all that stuff and uh that depend that is something that is going to decide does rattler stay or go but also there's tons of things that are going to go into his decision so we we don't know right now season just ended you know for now i'm happy and then uh we'll see how the off season goes yes sir and that's pretty much everything I think that we have to hit on. Uh, again, remember those dates. We will have uh, a list updated on Gamecock Central. I mean, I could real quickly before we close things out, I don't want to spend so much time on it um, because I think it creates a popsicle headache. And if you guys want to read some of these names, the tremendous job that my colleague uh, Chris Clark has done over at Gamecock Central with the offensive coordinator hot board, for the Gamecocks, if you want to check that out, head on over to GC. Um, but some names to keep an eye on. I know that that have been floated around, I'm sure, by some fans as well. Garrett Riley, of course, we know that Shane Beamer worked for um, his brother at Oklahoma. The interesting part about Riley is because we don't know what's going to happen quite yet with Greg Atkins. We know that he's been dealing with a lot of health issues. Um, Lonnie has done a great job with the offensive line. But God forbid they want to go hire an offensive coordinator, and the OC wants to bring his offensive line coach, Garrett Riley would be a very interesting uh, option. The reason why is because Riley has worked lately with veteran offensive line coach A.J. Ricker at SMU and TCU, as Chris Clark writes. Um, so that would be a very interesting tidbit just to, to keep in mind because he also could bring his offensive line coach in. Um, and that chemistry between – you know, just from a rapport standpoint from the OC and the offensive line coach, it is so critical. But it doesn't hurt, too, 
when the OC has a relationship with just anyone on the offensive side. And that would be the case with Kendall Bryles from Arkansas. Bryles worked for a season in Fayetteville with current South Carolina wide receivers coach Justin Stepp. There have been rumbles over the course of last year that he is open to an exit from Stan Pittman's program. So that's another interesting one to keep in mind. And again, there's this full list here. I don't want to name every single one here. Um, you can go check out the list, Hot Board by um, Chris Clark over at Gamecock Central. But those are two names that have been floating around a lot that I know people are going to want to keep an eye on. As far as what um, Freddie Kitchens wants to do, we don't know yet. People that are in that analyst role typically don't last too long. They're either, you know, it's kind of like a, a purgatory, if you will. And maybe they want to hop back into a coaching role in the NFL, college, whatever. So I don't know if Freddie will be back next season. He could. I know his daughter is uh, at, univer- at at USC, so I'm sure he's enjoyed being able to be around her. Well, he's Nick Klaus. I'm Mike Uber. Appreciate you guys watching Believe in South Carolina. We will keep you posted as to when we'll do another one of these shows, probably do one next week uh, because I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be something, whether it's the OC change, whether it's the who's calling the plays in the bowl game, whether the portal starts to go off um, on that fifth into the sixth. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about, so be on the lookout for a new episode. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.